to the DIY Animation Show, where we get to the heart of what it means to be an independent animator. I'm Lauren Morse. And I'm Jessica Dahl. Together with our guests, we'll explore tips, tricks, the psychological, the fundamental, and above all, how to make whatever you can with whatever you've got. From the keys to the breakdowns and everything in between. The timing's right to do it yourself. Let's get rolling! realized that interview is episode nine and it just makes me think of episode episode number nine on the new york transit line if my train goes off the track pick it up pick it up pick it up <laughs> welcome to the diy animation yeah. show i bet you're really glad you're listening <laughs> well, welcome welcome <laughs> oh man we are excited <laughs> Uh, which we usually are, but it's a good way to be. It's a good way to be. <laughs> Today, Lauren and I talk with longtime collaborators Adam Fleck and Nate Swinehart. Yep. Since meeting in college, this creative partnership has gone from strength to strength, leading to the creation of their ambitious CG project, The Sentinel. Ooh. If you haven't seen the trailer for The Sentinel yet, you are in for a treat. Mm-hmm. You can watch it over at Boketto.tv or on Vimeo. And of course, the links will be in the show notes for this episode, should you need them. Mm -hmm. We definitely recommend checking it out or rewatching it before listening to this interview so you can see just what we're talking about. There are so many things to talk about. For example, one, the Sentinel short was four to five years in the making, which is, I don't know. That's just insane commitment. Isn't it though? It's incredible. Two, they had no budget for this project. Three, this was created completely outside of their day jobs with a team comprised of friends and strangers. And on top of all of this, they actually completed this gigantic, wonderful thing, which is incredible. So just major props for that, because that's really, really cool. That's amazing. Yeah, these two dreamers are knee-deep in the flow of life, bubbling over with infectious excitement about animation. They dream big and follow through in commitment to their project, nurturing it and letting it take on its own shape. Mm -hmm. So today, in part one of our interview with Adam and Nate, we talk about the Sentinel, of course, from the concept's inception through to its completion. How the path to being an animator isn't always a straight one, and how that's actually a good thing. Mm -hmm. Creative partnerships. Deadlines, milestones, and self-forgiveness. And finally, how personal projects can help with feeling fulfilled alongside your day job. Yeah, so let's go! Yeah! And if the room that you're in, it sounds like you're in a church. Is it? Oh, yeah. yeah. I'm in a studio space. (laughs) I just imagined this desk in the middle of just a concrete room, and that's it. Yeah, that's it. (laughs) (laughs) So, Adam and Nate, we are super excited that you're here today with us. We have so many questions for you. Thank you for having us. Yeah, we're excited to be here. Yeah, no, thank you for being here. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Wouldn't miss it. (laughs) 
to start it off, it seems that you two have been long-time collaborators. Uh, yeah. How did you both meet? Do you want to take that one, Nate? <laughs> sure. See if I can remember. Uh, no, we met We met in school. We both went to uh, Savannah College of Art and Design, SCAD, and I was doing my graduate degree, and Adam uh, was finishing up his undergrad, and... So for the graduate program, you do like a thesis film and then undergrad, you do a film as well for your final year. And I was going to finish one year before Adam. So I was working on my thesis film, which Jess actually was a part of. It was. Uh, it was such it was a really... good project. Oh, that's so nice. <laughs> it was this crazy epic project of like 40 some people involved. And I was like down, like in the middle of the weeds with doing that. And then this guy came up to me and was like, hey, are you Nate Swinehart? And I was like, I am. He was like, I hear that you're the person to talk to about storyboards. And I was like, <laughs> okay. He was like, I want you to do storyboards for my film next year. And I was like, okay, cool. I have no time whatsoever. <laughs> like, sounds great, but I don't think so. But I was like, well, what's your film? And he told me the idea for his film. And I was like, yeah, I don't have any time whatsoever but I want to do this. <laughs> and so <laughs> I ended up taking on doing uh, storyboards for his film while I was in the middle of that. And we worked together for like two or so months back and forth, had a, like a really great time working together. And I finished the boards, finished my film and kind of left Savannah, graduated and left and went, moved to LA. And then about a year later, I heard from Adam and he just sent me a link that was like, Hey, we finished the film. Here it is. And it was amazing. <laughs> it's like incredibly animated and well done film, but it also like retained the feeling of the storyboards, which I hadn't um, been involved in the process since then. So it was incredible to see it keep the spirit that I had like been going for with the boards. So it was like a really, really positive experience. It was a really great experience for Nate while I was, you know, <laughs> yeah. I was uh, working for hours and hours. <laughs> but it was great and we have this we had this really good working dynamic and so once he'd finished and then he moved out to la too um although actually even before that right we decided we wanted on another project together right i was was working in new york at the time yeah and that was kind of the birth of the sentinel many years ago (laughs) oh wow and then just to ask really fast too yeah what was the name of that first collaboration you guys worked on together was that legacy by any yeah that was legacy Mm -hmm. oh that is another fantastic short, which uh, we, oh, yeah. we will we will link to that. Yay! It was a it was a great I don't know it was a really good idea that Adam had, and then you know he just is super amazing at pushing through, and making things happen, and getting the best possible quality yeah. out of folks. And then, yeah, so it was amazing. It's very cool to see, and it was really like well, the thing that struck me the most like a I had a really good time working with him, and then b I was really proud of the result. You know, those things don't always line up. <laughs> mm, yeah. Like sometimes it's like the thing looks great, but you had like a terrible time. And then sometimes like everybody got along, but we didn't really like make anything that was great. So it was awesome. Yeah. And I think likewise, it's hard to find people who you really uh, have the same taste as. I mean, generally, like, you know, you might find people you share movie interests with, but uh, to really have be on the same kind of wavelength. I think is really rare and I think that's something that Nick and I really share is that we want to tell the same types of stories along with the fact that we like a lot of the same things so it, it really just works out really well. 
Oh man, it's really, it's literally like a match made in heaven, like collaborating. <laughs> That's so good. <laughs> it was cool. I mean, like it's great because we have that same aesthetic taste, but then I think we also have complementary things about ourselves. Yeah. I think I'm a little more willing to like be insane and crazy about things, and Adam is like more grounded and yeah. And <laughs> so we, I'll have this not so idea, and Adam will be like, okay, well, like let's like actually like make that into something that's usable. Uh, <laughs> uh, so it's good and it is like a really good like creative back and forth that happens and and yeah it was just pretty clear that i was like yeah i feel like i want to be making stuff with this guy like for a while to come mm-hmm. so it was rad that's so good so just wondering what got you both into animation in the first place adam Ooh. well i've always drawn uh i kind of started out uh drawing my uh, star wars action figures when i was a kid amazing and <laughs> yeah that kind of kicked it off and then you know I was just I mean I always knew I wanted to do art and then you know weirdly enough there were the iPod commercials back in the uh, the early 2000s or late 90s man I just loved them so much so that kind of made me interested in you know motion and animation so I actually went to school for computer art which was kind of the old <laughs> Back in the day, uh, there were not many places where you could actually get an animation degree. So this was uh, uh, my workaround, is that I, I went to school for computer art, uh, studied it, and realized I really loved telling stories, which I hadn't really realized before. And that kind of, um, eventually I transferred to SCAD, got into animation, and more than anything, doing my senior film really made me realize directing and telling stories more than anything else, more than you know, just character animation is what I wanted to do. Oh, wow. Oh, that's so good. (laughs) And I guess for me, I always credit my siblings with getting me into art because they're both, (laughs) not because they both like art, but because they're both like giant sports jocks um, (laughs) who, as a kid, I was carted around to their various soccer games and stuff like that and would be bored to tears at the games. And I had to do something to entertain myself. So I started drawing. (laughs) And so like from a young age, we would be traveling all over because my brother and sister, they both actually play soccer like professionally. Um, So I saw a lot of soccer games (laughs) and um, traveled a lot. And so a sketch pad was always something I could have with me to keep myself entertained. And then when I was at home, I would kind of make my own little home animated movies with my action figures and uh, do stop motion stuff, which was fun. I actually made a rudimentary capture station, although I didn't realize I was doing it at the time. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) But I like drew a bunch of like index card animation of I think it was Sonic the Hedgehog and um and then I was like oh I could totally make this look like it's moving if I could just like take really quick short pictures of each so I took the camera put it on a tripod aimed it at the wall and then drew a box on the wall which my mom was like thrilled that I did um (laughs) and then would just like tape the card to the wall and then take a really like on off picture of it with the camera and did that and that was how I I guess kind of started animation. Um, But then I actually went to school for theater because I liked acting and stuff like that. And I did that for like one semester and was like, oh, just kidding. I don't actually want to do this for real. Um, (laughs) But I was still in the theater program. And so I switched and kind of did theater design. And I did art for fun in my free time. Um, I never took any art classes the first art class I ever took was when I was 24. Wow. But I would draw for fun, and I had this comic that I would draw and was, like, posted online. And it sort of slowly became more of, like, what I was doing with all of my time. Mm-hmm. But uh, I graduated from school, and then I actually moved to Japan for a while and was drawing my comic there more and more. 
So when I came back to America, I was like, I think I'm going to start to pursue this for real. And I went into school for illustration. Then while I was there, I took an animation class as an elective, just like as a one-off. And I was like, this is probably a terrible idea. It's going to be so much work and blah, blah, if blah. Only, if only you knew. <laughs> I, at, the, at the end of the first week, I was like, I think I need to switch my major to animation. I like just totally got bit by the bug and I wanted to just draw and animate like as much as I could all the time. And I didn't realize at the time that animation was really like marrying the two worlds of acting and drawing together. So it was like all of my theater background stuff sort of lent itself really well to this medium. And then you just had to have like a crazy work ethic, which thankfully I was crazy enough to have that and was kind of off and running. My first animation class was this was nuts. It was like a 10 assignment class for one semester. The assignment one was a bouncing ball. Wow. And assignment 10 was a two minute cleaned up animated short. Oh my goodness. <laughs> what? It's like animation 101. Yeah, this teacher was Amazing. crazy. But I credit him with instilling this insane work ethic in me. Because his attitude was like, yeah, it's a lot of work, but like, just do it. You know? Like, wow. <laughs> it kind of made you just do it. And by the end of it, only a few people in the class actually finished their film. But I was one of them. And when it was done, I went up to him and I was like, can you give me more assignments? I want to do more things. And he was like, oh, you've got a bad kid. Um, <laughs> but then he told me, he was like, you should switch to a graduate program uh, and gave me a list of schools. And that's how I ended up at SCAD. So, yeah. Wow. That's amazing. That's <laughs> you yeah. guys, I just really like how in, in both of your stories, neither one started out really in animation. But yeah, you guys just um like I like I know that for me, I didn't really get into animation until what felt like later. And again, you guys do amazing work. And uh, it's just really cool to know that you don't have to know that animation is the thing that you want to do like until a little bit later because you just go for it and you can do really great things. And you guys are super awesome people on top of that. Okay. So. Oh, thanks. Uh, yeah, I think there's something good about I'm really glad that I have more experience in different areas first because a, it made me like really sure when I got to animation that it's what I wanted to do. But then mm -hmm. also I just felt like I had kind of a lot of different experiences and stuff to kind of draw on for yeah. my art. Because I think it's pretty common to run into people who like, they started drawing when they were kids, they graduated school, they went into an animation program and, and then they got a job in animation and it's kind of like their whole life. And that's amazing and great and incredible. And those people are some of the most talented people that I know. But part of expressing yourself is you know you have to like live life and animation is such a like time suck yeah. <laughs> like, it's such a time sink it's like you get into it and you have to like it's easy to have that be the only thing you do so i'm glad that i kind of got a bunch of random stuff in first before i got bit by the bug uh -huh. yeah no i think especially i mean if if you're going to be a storyteller what makes your stories unique are your life experiences so the more unique life experiences you have you know, that are different from the, the roads of other people, the, the more interesting I think your stories are going to be. So, yeah, I mean, <laughs> your story especially is, is so interesting to me because it's so different from so many other people in our field. Uh, it's weird and random. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that I recommend it, but I'm glad. That <laughs> <laughs> no, I think as well that, like you were saying, Jess, about coming to animation seemingly late. I think if you're going to enjoy it and stick with it, it's something you kind of have to come to at the time that's right for you, if that makes sense. Oh, totally. Yeah. That, that makes a lot of sense. Because then it's more like your decision a little bit, or you know what I mean? Like, it's yeah. more like, yeah, I do really want this. I've seen some other things and this is what I want to do. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Lots of really random, strange things, but it, uh, I don't know, contributed to, I guess, 
being like, once I found animation, like, yep, I know what it's like to be a waiter and I don't want to be that anymore. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that's super cool. No, it is. It's amazing. It kind of goes to show that actually you don't have to be doing the thing, in this case, animation your whole life to be considered an animator. It can be just a part of your life, mm-hmm. which is something that you really enjoy. Yeah. yeah, totally. And I think like if you look kind of historically too, at like the nine old men or whatever, like I think there was, they kind of echo that sentiment that like it's really important to live a life and to be out and doing things and informing what you're doing. And I think it's such an important lesson with animation because it is so easy to just have it be all that you do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, like, I'm going to like pull an all nighter, I'm going to work on the weekends i'm gonna make sure that like i'm doing the most i can to get the most out of that and i'm definitely like 100 percent guilty of doing that and still am uh, <laughs> but like you just have to also be like wait 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 it's also important that we're living life <laughs> because otherwise what are we actually saying mm-hmm. yeah. you just animate animating like yeah that's all that you do and they're animating an animator <laughs> like, oh, no. Animating. <laughs> oh no it just gets really meta <laughs> inception animation <It's> true <laughs> oh man so uh, you guys have been working on your personal project, The Sentinel, for the last, was it four or five years? Uh, I think that's right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the trailer just is gorgeous and it's looking really promising to be a really moving story. We're really excited about it. <laughs> so we've really been wanting to ask, what was it about the sentinel or this little number of an idea that really spoke to you guys and moved you to pursue it well i guess um it's funny certain things you can't really figure out where it starts but with the sentinel i remember the moment that really kind of ticked it off for me is i was in new york on the public library steps which i don't know if you know it's this, like huge library these ginormous steps i was just sitting there sketching and i thought about this character who is kind of this, um, you know, colossal character who can really sway mountains at the flick of, a, of his fingers or, you know, do anything he really wants, but he's kind of so contained by his own, I don't know, uh, his, his lack of drive or uh, his own mental capacity, I guess. The idea of this, you know, creature who could destroy a city if he wants, but he's so lost that he can't get past his own... Uh, mental obstructions. I think that's really where the Sentinel started um, and ultimately what's stayed the same throughout the story. And that's kind of what I initially pitched to Nate and what we've kind of developed this story around is the Sentinel, who's this character like, say, the Iron Giant or, you know, any kind of colossal character, but is different in that he's uh, very introspective. He's very kind of lost and kind of doesn't know what to do with himself. So I think that's where it started. Wow. Yeah. And I think when Adam first told me the idea that he was having, I latched onto it because it felt like it was challenging a convention. You don't necessarily hear so much about the like lost or like this might be too big of a word, but like the depressed hero. <laughs> it's like kind of like an anti-hero sort of sentiment. But that was really like intriguing. What I liked about it was it felt like it was really turning that convention on its head. And by doing that, I was like, oh, well, you can probably find out a little bit better, like, what's underneath there. Like, if you have this character who is, like, ostensibly made to be, like, a warrior, but, like, maybe isn't even sure why he's doing what he's doing. And that resonated a bit, just, I think, in terms of just life and searching for what you're doing and why you're doing what you're doing and what you want to do next. 
I think there's probably not like a huge surprise that we both gravitated to that story right after graduating from school (laughs) 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 and being out in the kind of the real world. And, And I think a lot of that we want to talk about in our story is like, you know, sometimes you are kind of told what to do, or there's this like path that you're supposed to go on. And it's like really laid out. And like, if you do this, you will get that and like follow these directions. And here are these institutions that you'll go through and it will lead to like life and happiness and blah, 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 and all that. But like when maybe that's not necessarily what happens, or maybe like that's not necessarily true, like how do you react to that? And what do you do? And how do you move forward from that? are kind of some of the ideas in the Sentinel that we were like pretty excited about exploring and trying to make kind of fun and interesting. And, and when you, when you take those ideas and start applying them visually and like, well, what would a world look like that could be like a metaphor for that sort of thing? And, and what would the relationships look like between the characters and their expectations and stuff like that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. One of my big inspirations, and I'm going to sound like a really big nerd, um, <laughs> but, uh, I was really into anime when I was younger. Nice. <laughs> and nice. Neon Genesis Evangelion <laughs> oh, yeah. is is a show that, that kind of does that sort of thing of like it has a very, if you're familiar with the show or not, it's like kids and giant robots fighting to save the world. But it starts off with this really familiar kind of genre. And then three or four episodes in it, the main hero ends up being totally not equipped to do what he's doing and how does he cope with it. And a lot of people challenge that show what I like about it is that it it takes this really familiar setup and you're like, oh, okay, I know what this is going to be. And then it is not that at all. And it becomes really introspective and uses the kind of tent poles of that genre to kind of explore some deeper, more vaguely existential questions, which at the time when that show came out was pretty revolutionary for what it was doing. So the idea of kind of doing that, of like subverting the genre. And I think it's something that you see a little bit in shows like Game of Thrones, where it's like, well, if you're good, are you necessarily going to survive? Not necessarily. And we're kind of hoping to maybe, hopefully, tell a bit more of a... Like a show like Game of Thrones, I think, doesn't really have any message to you besides chaos. (laughs) Besides, like, you know, being good doesn't get you anything. (laughs) It's like basically what that show is more or less. But we're hoping to kind of be a little more encouraging with it, I think. Oh, man, that's really, really good. I got to ask with that, because, again, that's such a unique take on storytelling. And you Mm -hmm. guys are doing so many cool things with this project. And you have these really great hopes for it and all of that. The Sentinel has the feeling of being such a personal project. So how important has it been from the start to do this yourselves and to be able to call it your own? You know, like, we did this. This is our thing, you know? Yeah, it's uh, it's been an interesting journey now that we've released it uh, because we have these all these different roads, all these different possibilities where to take it next. Not necessarily ones that will go through, but, you know, opportunities. Do we take it to studios that uh, would just acquire it or do we do it all ourselves or attempt to at least and yeah i think it's been interesting because we've kind of gotten a taste of the whole experience everybody kind of wants to push you to do whatever gets the most money but at the same time we know that the bigger the brand the less control we will have to tell our story and i think that is our our biggest focus is we want to make sure that this is the story that we want to tell that's you know, something different, something unique that does tell this story that is focused around this character that we've set out to create from the very beginning. So it, I would say it's probably the most important to us to make sure that we maintain uh, the control that we need to tell the story. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for us, like, what's interesting about it is what makes it different. And the content that we want to make, we do want to kind of, like, 
try and push what's happening in animation forward. And, you know, I think right now we're in a period where there's a lot of content that's kind of existing off familiar models of this type of character makes a big box office, so we're going to do that sort of thing, or this sort of story, this kind of look, tying it in with this marketable image or whatever. I think is driving a lot of, like, what's being released in, like, the mainstream American animation industry, and at least, like, feature-wise. And I think... I mean, Adam and I were kind of talking about, like, maybe vaguely at a point where it's like, we can't really remember the last animated film we saw that was really inspiring or really, like, shook us up, that we're kind of in a bit of a drought. You know, what's the next, like, toy story you're going to be? What's the next big thing that shakes up the whole industry? And kind of just wanting to be pushing towards that with our work. And if that means making things independently or on a small scale, I think that's what we want to do. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, I'm ready for, because there's been a lot of really great animated movies, for sure, but... Oh, man, I can't wait for, like, the next Spirited Away, though, or something yeah. like that. Just, oh, man, just my heart. <laughs> yeah, just something that you're like, that was incredible. I want to go live life. I want to go draw forever. I want to, like, whatever. I want to be, like, just inspiring. And it's, I think it's just, there have been some models of films that have been really successful, and now those are kind of being just kind of rehashed over and over. Yeah. And so, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't really know what the, like, answer is or what we're necessarily even looking for as a, like, audience but it does feel like we're getting to a point where something's got to give. <laughs> right. <laughs> we're kind of in like sequel land right now. Oh, <laughs> oh my <true>. goodness. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, and it's kind of like, okay, well, what's the next original story, which is really exciting. Yeah. yeah maybe the Sentinel can be part of the answer to that oh, question. Gosh. You know, mm-hmm. oh my definitely gosh. Wanna, definitely want to push towards that. We definitely <laughs> want to shake things up. Yeah, that's super good. That's such an admirable goal to have, just pushing the boundaries and, you know, not wanting to follow in the steps of what is currently working. You know, kind of taking into just the sheer size of this project and how it still feels so personal to you guys. What what gave you the courage to take your your epic baby to such great heights while still holding on to it and keeping it personal what was the courage there uh, i feel like it's always for me good to think about i mean we put in four years of our time without being paid you know this is all just passion and not just our passion but the passion of 30 other artists wow. that helped out the project you know and they i think were excited to work on it because it was what it was, you know, it was something different, original. And I just think it's really important to remember that we're doing this and we did do this because we feel very strongly that it's something that is new and fresh and it's a, you know, has themes and everything that we are very behind. So we don't really want to um, sacrifice that to make a bigger product. You know, it's not worth it. It's not worth all that time we put in. For that. <laughs> and I, I think also there's something to the fact of, of just kind of the inception of it and how it how it came about, that it was a personal project. It was something that was happening in our spare time outside of our main gigs. And when you're approaching something like that, you got to make it personal. You got to make it count because it's it's all passion. It's all just you being like, this is what I want to do with my free time. And um, I know that before I got a job uh, in animation, I was like, oh, I just want to be paid to draw. My dream is just to like have my career be tricking someone into paying me to draw. Uh, <laughs> and, and once I achieved that, after about a year of working as an animator and doing just that, I started to feel like 
a bit of discontent. And then I got really like, what's wrong with you? You're doing what you always wanted. And like, you have no room to complain because you're getting paid to do art. And that's an incredible opportunity. And it is. But the thing is, is that at the end of the day, with it, with any job, no matter how great it is, unless you're like the person in charge, you're basically a hired hand. You're being paid to do someone else's vision. And there's only so much fulfillment you can get out of that. And I think that that was how we kind of approached the Sentinel was, okay, let's look for fulfillment with this one. Let's look for something that's really important and that means something to us. And then I think once we latched onto it, there was kind of no way to stop it getting as big as it did. (laughs) (laughs) Did it it just kind of snowball, sort of? It did. And I I think that that's how it had to happen. Because I think if we set out to be like, okay, we're going to do this epic, incredible, huge, gigantic (laughs) thing. We would have just buckled under the pressure of it. Yeah. But when it was just like, let's come up with a story. Let's come up with some characters. Okay, well, that leads to like, what's the world? And that got bigger and bigger. And then it was like, well, we have to showcase this world. So what's a journey that they could take? We had yeah. no really initial plan to make this what it is now. I think Nate and I initially just sat down and thought like, okay, what's the story we can come up with uh, from this? You know, And then it just kind of got bigger and bigger. I initially thought about it, oh, well, well, this is so huge, you know, maybe this is a feature. And then, you know, eventually we landed on a possible animated series because it just seemed like it fit best that way. But yeah, at no point were we like, okay, let's make this story and let's make it so huge. We're going to have 30 people on board. We're going to make an animated series. It's going to be great. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, people usually make just films, like a standalone piece. Why did you decide to go for a series rather than a movie? Because it's really ambitious. Well, I think that we, I think our attitude towards it the whole time has been more that we're interested in this story and we're interested in whatever format is right for that. Right. So if it's a feature, if it's a series, if it's something else, if it's a series of shorts, if it's like a mini series or something like that, like a self-contained multi-episode type of thing, you know, who knows? Mm. But I think that we were always pretty open with it. And as we started exploring it, series just kind of seemed like, A, it seemed like the world and the journey lent itself to it and like just the journey of the characters but also it also seemed like the biggest it could be <laughs> and <laughs> which which is not that we were going for the biggest it could be but like okay let's plan for the biggest and then we can talk back down to something smaller if we have to but at least like we know what it would look like if it was going to be that big mm, yeah that makes sense so it's kind of like you're not trying to fit everything into one and a half hours to two hours you're like okay yeah. if it's a series we can have as much time as we want to tell the right. story properly exactly and it's like okay. and also when you're talking to people if they want you know if the investors or studio whatever that you're talking to wants something bigger longer term that's going to have whatever sort of returns it's like you're scoped for that you're like okay well here's what that would look like if we would do that it's kind of just an idea um but we also talked about the idea of like interactive experiences games stuff like that uh, and like what does this but like our core at the end of the day was the story <laughs> so whatever is going to best portray the themes to the audience is kind of what we want to go for. Mm. That's fantastic. Does that mean that the story is conclusive then? Does it have a very solid ending that's planned out already? Or is this something where it's like, it's a journey and we're also like, you have an idea of where the characters and story will go, but it has a very clear ending. (laughs) 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 Nice. Uh, And it's more kind of figuring out what happens in between those times, what can happen and what can't. But I think it it definitely, the themes and everything lead to the ending. And I think the ending was one of the first things that we had in our mind. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so 
that part of the journey was kind of already figured out and it's more so now okay what are the pit stops along the way and how does how does the structure make sense to like get in all the experiences that we want to have before we kind of hit this thing that we're aiming for mm-hmm. yeah wow. i think it's i mean <laughs> i think coming up with the ending is so important the earlier you do it the better because then it i think it's a lot easier to figure out what happens in between if you have the beginning and end kind of figured out like uh, keyframes in between yeah oh, oh that's, that's so a super cool. nice analogy <laughs> I'm not joking. Like I've never <laughs> thought of story that way before. Yeah, I mean, I, I think yeah, there's totally. different processes to do it, right? But I think that's the thing that kind of makes sense. There's okay. Here's another. I like, can just hug thought. you right now. Oh my oh, god. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I think as a kid, when I would read things like comics, I always gravitated more towards independent comics more than like the giant serialized Marvel DC things. And I think that for me, the reason for that was it never made sense to me that these like giant stories are being told by multiple people who were kind of making stuff up and changing the details. And there was no like path. It was just kind of going on forever, which is a type of storytelling, which I have since learned has its own set of really cool and engaging things as a writer to do. But stories that interest me are ones that have that endpoint that are like, okay, we put these characters in this situation and with these traits and whatever and relationships in order to tell a point and here's the point, which is like the end of the story. The more open, like, well, who knows what will happen? And Batman is just Batman forever is <laughs> is to me like a little like, I feel like I get less out of it, yeah. um, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. So that was kind of like why I think we structured it with this really clear, like, we want to have a point and we want to know where we're going and what we're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's not telling a story for the sake of telling a story. It's telling a story to communicate one thing in particular yeah or at least like to yeah to have a voice and know what you're saying because the fact that batman can be written by 25 different people and be a completely different character in all of those writers minds is disorienting to me i think i've since learned that it's like people enjoy having this kind of kind of setup archetype that they're like it's interesting to see what a different writer will do with it Mm-hmm. Um, and it's engaging mm-hmm. that, but that kind of like requires you as the reader to bring a lot more to the table in terms of like what you understand about the character and where they've been before and what's different about this portrayal than what was there before. Mm-hmm. Um, but I enjoy like an original story that has like a clear beginning and end. And I, th- I think that maybe that's just because I was a bigger fan of movies than of comics as a kid. And having that clear ending and point is, I think, to me, a really strong storytelling thing. Yeah, no, that's great. Mm-hmm. So if it's cool, I'd like to jump back to something you mentioned earlier when you were talking about working on the Sentinel for four to five years, no budget, you've been working on it in your spare time outside of your jobs, which you two are very busy people from what Lauren and I have seen. Yeah, you must be powerhouses. Seriously, it's incredible. Oh, no. Yeah, yeah. Not a lot of uh, sleep happens. I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> who needs sleep yeah. question mark <laughs> never found a use for it <laughs> but yeah something that we wanted to ask along that line is you said you worked with 30 or 40 people i think around 30 yeah. around 30 that's yeah. that's amazing so yeah so you have quite the team with that and it sounds like it was a lot of friends that got together which yeah. is super cool so did you all set out together from the start? Did they come onto the project as the project was happening? Yeah, um, well, basically, when we worked on Legacy, that was also a really huge collaboration. And we were lucky enough to meet a ton of artists through that. I think we had something around 65 students for that. Um, wow. And a lot of the people, you know, obviously you 
find people that you work with well and people that um, a little bit less so. But uh, I think that was a really good springboard for starting off the Sentinel. That being said, we also had a bunch of people that we kind of, you know, just found on the internet or friends of friends, people that I freelanced with or people that Nate was just friends with. So I think it was a bit of a mix. And like we said, it, it did just kind of snowball. It started out, you know, with just a couple of us. I think it was just me, Nate, and maybe, you know, a couple, maybe two concept artists. And it kind of just spurred from there. So, yeah, I mean, it's been, it was a huge help to have met people through Legacy, but also it was a case where we met a lot of people just by emailing them or Facebook messaging them. I was in a Facebook group with one or two of them and just kind of said, hey, we're working on this project. I really like your work. You know, if you're interested, we could do a video chat meeting and kind of talk it over and see if it's something you might, you know, want to help out on. Um, so yeah, we definitely didn't know everybody. Uh, I think really the thing to know from that is that if you have a project and you do want to start it, don't be afraid to contact people out of the blue. Yeah, I think that we found that it was surprising, I guess, at least to me. I felt like we were contacting people. I was almost apologetic about it. Like, hey, sorry to bother you, but like we're doing this thing and I don't know yeah. if you might be interested. <laughs> but anyway, um, maybe look at these drawings and I'm sorry. Um, <laughs> but people really gravitated to the material. And there were so many times where we would pitch the idea to someone. And at the end of it, they'd be like, all right, I'm in. What do you want? And my mind would be blown by that. I'm like, really? Just like from hearing that you're totally in? Okay, cool. And I mean, like, I believed in the material, but it was just, you could see that if people found what you were doing inspiring, found it to be something that they wanted to be a part of, they were in. And we really pushed to, like, something that was really important to us was we want to make a really fun, creative environment where you can express yourself with other people. And here's our idea for a story. If you have any thoughts or things that you'd like to include, if you're, like, jones into like draw some sort of concept art that this could maybe enable you to do or if you're like oh yeah what if there was like this sort of thing in the world go for it you know and like we want to bring people together who are excited about what they're doing and engaged in it and so if you see the potential for that happening with this project we would love to have you on board oh it seems like it was such an open process and just definitely wow. yeah that that's definitely the case i think it was really important to us to recognize that the people that were going to be working on this project were people who were a little bit creatively spent and wanted a project to work on that they could feel more fulfilled in than they do in, say, their job where they're given just a task and expected to do it. And so I think that is a big part of it is that we really wanted people to feel like they had creative input into it uh, and they could, you know, explore whatever avenue that they wanted to explore. Yeah. Wow. What a nice collaboration. Oh. <laughs> Just hearing yeah. that you can do something like that is really, it's, that's nice. That's very nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, it is, it is kind of, it's hard because you do feel like, oh man, like I wish I could be, I, you know, there's always that kind of feeling that you should be paying these people, which you should, you know, because artists deserve to be paid, but it's tough. Uh, at the same time, you know, we're not making any money from it. So we're just trying to make something that we all 
feel creatively fulfilled by. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I think part of what we said too was the aims for the project and where we're hoping to go with it. And, you know, to say if this does become something, you will be involved if you so wish to like take it further. And also, of course, you'll be compensated once any sort of compensation is happening. (laughs) (laughs) Totally, totally. Super good. Yeah, so many of us dream that our ideas would make it to the big time or to a wide audience. But Adam and Nate, you guys aren't dreaming. You are you are actually doing. <laughs> How do you just do it and and make this thing happen? I mean, honestly, I think it's what you just said. You, <laughs> you just do it. You don't you don't think about it. Like you don't um you all you have to do is sit down and start doing it and like take the next step and it's like i i want to do this so i need a character so i'm going to start doing sketches or i can't do sketches so i need someone who can do sketches so i need to make that happen you take it one step at a time but you go into action as quickly as you can i think and you make mistakes and redo and whatever but the more that you sit and think about it and the more that you are like wouldn't it be great if one day blah 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 i think that that's borderline dangerous thinking i mean i think you just have to be like what can i do today right now for the project for what i want to do and then i'm gonna do that Um, yeah even if it's just like a small thing i mean if you don't have a ton of time so long as you're doing something i think you know to move things along that is the key I think mm-hmm. setting deadlines is a good and important thing, even if it's just, okay, by the end of the week, I want to have character sketches or I want to have like the outline for the pilot episode written or whatever it is that you want to do. But I think I think figuring out what you want to do and then if you don't know how to do it, <laughs> figuring out how to do it, you know, even if it's just, I know like when I'm doing stories and stuff like that, I will start off by writing like a, it's called like a like series Bible. And I'll just start compiling ideas about the world and the people and whatever, and just making a ton of Google Docs <laughs> that I'm just <laughs> filling with like information, but like moving forward in it. And uh, I think that milestones seem like a lot scarier or bigger than they, than they actually are. And like, once you sit down and actually start doing stuff, stuff starts happening. It doesn't always happen quickly, but you make headway. And then things that felt like they would never happen, I am not ashamed to say there were times in this project where I was like, we will never finish the trailer, ever. <laughs> like, it's just never going to happen. Like, we're, it's too big, it's too grandiose, and, like, we're dreaming, thinking that we're ever going to actually get this done. And then we got it done. And then it was suddenly done, and you're like, uh, it's done. I mean, we missed a lot of deadlines. We rescheduled a lot of stuff. When you're working with people who are doing it out of the kindness of their heart, time becomes a much slower <laughs> thing that <laughs> happens. But that's just kind of how it goes. Mm. But as long as you, you keep doing it, and I think as creative people, the, we can often be our most dangerous uh, obstacle or whatever. That You can uh-huh. talk yourself out of it. You can say like, oh, but I'm so busy. Oh, but I'm so whatever. And there's like a hundred reasons why you can't do it. But if you just start doing it, it just tends to happen. That's yeah. really good. Do you feel like along those lines, because I'm thinking of the missing deadline portions and everything, mm. and even with those last bits that you just mentioned in terms of you can get down on yourself. Sure. Do you guys feel that there's an element of self-forgiveness that you have to employ for pursuing personal projects? Yeah, I think you have to. Here's the thing. Our deadlines are all self-imposed. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember, so I mentioned before, like I draw a comic and I... I had the self-imposed deadline of every two weeks I would post an update. And I would at times drive myself crazy to meet that deadline. 
and be pulling all-nighters on a personal project and be at work the next day and be like, I'm so tired, I was drawing my comic, but I have to hit this deadline. And people would be like, uh, you know that you don't have to hit the deadline. Like, you know that it's just you that's doing it. And I was like, yeah, but I mean, I have to, I have to. And then at one point in time, I eventually like listened to what people were saying. And I was like, they're right. I don't need deadlines. This is just me doing this for my own enjoyment. And so I took out this schedule and I like said, I'm not going to be hitting these deadlines anymore. And the minute I did that, I almost completely stopped working on the project. Oh. And it was a good lesson there that any sort of structure, even if you miss a deadline, just keep just like set another deadline and hit that one. Mm. But don't not have it. Don't just be kind of throwing yourself to the wind with it because that lack of structure, that lack of kind of present nowness about what are you doing for the project right now kind of stops happening. And then you you are also the only person that's pushing it forward. So it's kind of up to you to make sure that it happens. So I think self-forgiveness is important as an aspect of enabling yourself to structure yourself, if that makes sense. No, that makes a lot of sense. That reminds me of if you're running and you know and if you're like i'm gonna run to that lamppost all the way down there and then you're like i can't run there well you can still walk there but if you're just like well the Mm. lamppost doesn't matter anymore then you may just sit down and not move that is (laughs) the best analogy i (laughs) do that exact i always okay i run too and like Uh running is all about tricking yourself into doing things it's so true (laughs) it's like i would be like all i have to do is run until i get there and then i can totally stop and then i would get to the lamppost and be like okay i'm just gonna run to the corner shop and then i can stop (laughs) and then and you just keep pushing the carrot a little bit further away and then suddenly Uh you've run like eight miles or whatever and it's Uh that's how you have to do it you have to trick yourself into doing it but you have to actually be doing something deadlines structure goals stuff like that need to be on your mind in order to make it actually happen Mm. that's really nice such an amazing analogy and it's so simple i know i love it it's perfect this idea of just like going a step at a time and and just allowing that to take you where you need to go Mm -hmm. and it seems really similar to how they both came to animation in the first place you know how their individual and incredibly varied life experiences eventually brought them to this path of animating and film and and it's just wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, you really get a strong sense that their day-to-day lives and life experiences really have a bleed-through effect into their animations and how they (laughs) approach their animation lives. Definitely. It's like Adam said, what makes your stories unique are your life experiences. Mm -hmm. Love that nugget of wisdom. It's so good. How about you, dear listeners? Have you any weird or unusual life experiences or even jobs that have turned out to be a real boon for your animation now? Everyone's got a good story to tell and we are excited to hear them all. So please come to DIYanimation.show to the Adam and Nate part one blog post and share your stories with us in the comments or comment on anything else you enjoyed in this episode. Yeah. Next time in part two of Adam and Nate's interview, We have a treasure trove of DIY nuts and bolts gleaned from working on the Sentinel and from their other personal projects. Nate shares a cautionary tale you'll surely want to hear. Mm -mm. (laughs) And the one most vital thing Adam and Nate thinks a DIY animator needs. Until then, you can stay up to date with the DIY Animation Show on Twitter at DIYA Show and Facebook at facebook.com forward slash DIY Animation Show. And you can subscribe to the show on iTunes and on SoundCloud. 
Thanks, everyone. As always, follow your heart. And have fun animating. We'll catch you on the flip side. Yeah, for part two. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the DIY Animation Show is an indie production from your hosts, Jessica Dahl and Lauren Morse. Our theme music was provided by Azure Flux. Subscribe at DIYanimation.show. If you liked this podcast, maybe you'll enjoy more art and story podcasts from our friends at the Oatly Academy of Visual Storytelling, featuring insights from some of the most inspiring voices in animation, games, biz effects, comics, and children's books. Find them at friendsofdiya.com. We'll see you next time. Bye! I bet we could find, like, a rap song to introduce every single episode. Oh, my gosh. Like, would what, what it, what it rhyme? And cor- yeah, and it would have to correspond, like, numerically to, so, like, find something with, like, 10 in yeah. it or something that rhymes with 11 and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Oh. That'd be good. Or with the guest name. Oh, or with the guest name. And then, like, and you know it'll happen one day. It, like, I'm sure it would happen one day, but we'll have a guest that also raps. And then we could just use <gasps> some of their stuff. Oh, my goodness. The <laughs> and that's what... That would be That's amazing. when we would have reached the DIYA singularity. And, <laughs> and, and everything will be complete. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>